Welcome to a new podcast series, The Growing Pandemic, How Innovation and Collaboration Can End Alzheimer's. Brought to you by the Global CEO Initiative on Alzheimer's Disease, or CEOI, this podcast series explores opportunities to accelerate our fight against Alzheimer's disease shared during the 2020 Lausanne Workshop. This convening, held each year in Lausanne, Switzerland, is the world's leading stage for global dialogue on how to speed new innovations in prevention, treatment, and care to those impacted by Alzheimer's. CEOI is an organization of private sector leaders who have joined together to provide business leadership in the fight against Alzheimer's, a growing pandemic that threatens to devastate communities, national health systems, and the global economy if we fail to act. In Episode 5 of Season 2, we will explore how blood-based biomarker tests can enable early, accurate Alzheimer's diagnosis and what's needed to develop, standardize, and scale these tests. The panel includes leading experts and researchers. Sasha Boziat is External Engagement and Scientific Collaborations Lead at Roche. Previously, she was Global Medical Lead for Alzheimer's Disease at Roche Diagnostics. Joel Bronstein is co-founder and CEO of C2N Diagnostics, which has launched a blood-based biomarker test for the detection of Alzheimer's disease pathology. Nancy Ip is Vice President for Research and Development and Director of the State University of Clinical Neuroscience at the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology. Michael Pontecorvo is Vice President for Clinical Development at Avid Radio Pharmaceuticals, which is developing novel molecular imaging compounds for the detection of chronic diseases. Steve Verduner is CEO and co-founder of NeuroVision, which is developing blood-based biomarkers and retinal imaging to detect neurodegenerative diseases. John Dwyer is the president of the Global Alzheimer's Platform and the moderator of the panel. Together, they share their perspectives on the current state of the field and how to enable early, accurate detection of Alzheimer's disease. Please note that the opinions expressed by participants are their own and do not necessarily reflect the positions of the organizations they represent. The clear and present need has never been higher than to determine how to characterize and assess and diagnose patients to determine their condition and determine whether they are appropriate for the therapies that have already been made available and the therapies that are coming. These blood plasma tests that we're going to discuss are centrally important to expediting the recruitment process, better characterizing volunteers in clinical trials, and better improving the results of all kinds of therapeutic trials that are underway. This is good news. So today, I would like to ask the panel to briefly introduce themselves and their organizations and the emerging technologies that they represent. My name is Sasha Boziat, and I'm the Global Medical Lead for Alzheimer's Disease at Roche Diagnostics. 
More than 50% of people living with dementia have no formal diagnosis. And in Europe, people wait on average of 26 months from symptom onset to diagnosis. But what we see is great geographical variation in the diagnostic pathway and the processes, meaning that many centers are actually doing very well at identifying Alzheimer's disease early and with accuracy. This tends to be specialist centers where biomarkers are used routinely as part of the workup. At Roche Diagnostics, we're on a mission to make those specialist centers the rule rather than the exception. We want to streamline the diagnostic pathway so that all individuals, no matter where they come from or where they live, can have access to an accurate and timely diagnosis. We know that there's still a significant bottleneck at the primary care level, so we're also working on the development of blood-based biomarkers with a view to providing an affordable, accurate, and easy-to-use referral tool for primary care physicians. My name is Joel Bronstein. I'm CEO of C2N Diagnostics. What's really exciting about where we are at um, both C2N in the field within Alzheimer's is that I almost feel like we're in the early days where we're seeing a transformation in the field that will ultimately enable very broad access of blood-based biomarkers that are highly precise, can be used to guide treatment decisions, can be used to differentially diagnose conditions that may masquerade as Alzheimer's disease from other disorders. And at C2N Diagnostics, we're really involved with all elements of the diagnostic pathway for patients with various forms of neurodegeneration. Our initial product is a product called Precivity AD, which is a blood-based biomarker test that measures apolipoprotein E proteotype, which is equivalent to the genotype as well as amyloid beta 42 and 40, which are peptide fragments that are highly indicative of what's happening in the brain. And with now data that exceeds over 10,000 patients across a whole variety of independent studies and clinical experience, where we've now introduced the test within the United States, we're seeing a great deal of both precision and the ability to help clinicians better identify and remove the diagnostic certainty associated with Alzheimer's disease. I'm Nancy Ip, Vice President for Research and Development, the Morningside Professor of Life Science and the Director of the State Laboratory of Molecular Neuroscience at the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology. My current research focuses on the identification of biomarkers and therapeutic targets for Alzheimer's disease, AD. As an example, my lab has demonstrated the roles of a cytokine, interleukin-33, in alleviating AD pathology by promoting the induction of a beneficial microglial subpopulation to clear A-beta. And we have initiated the preclinical study on the therapeutic use of this cytokine. Among other key efforts, I have led the establishment of multi-omics 8D databases in the Chinese population through a comprehensive profiling of plasma proteome comprising of more than 1,000 proteins in 80 patients of Chinese population. We have identified a panel of 19 plasma protein biomarkers of AD based on the analysis of plasma proteins that are altered in AD patients compared to age-match healthy controls. We believe that these findings can potentially lead to the development of a simple and robust blood test with high accuracy for early detection and screening of AD. 
So I'm Mike Pontecorvo. I'm VP for Clinical Development at AVID. AVID, many of you may know, is involved in development of pet tracers. We actually developed the first am approved amyloid pet tracer and the first approved cow pet tracer. And, and I'm proud to say I, I think we've changed the practice of medicine and we will change the practice of medicine going forward. We've demonstrated that biomarkers can be effective in diagnosis. And, and I think those pet tracers will play a large part in enabling the development of the new generation of plasma markers. We had a vision of changing the world such that diagnosis would be based on molecular pathology and treatment would be targeted at molecular pathology. And, and we're getting there. We're very close to that right now. I'm Steve Verduner. I'm CEO and co-founder of Neurovision. There's two main aspects of our business. One is retinal imaging, which we're not going to talk about today with respect to detection of amyloid in the retina, but also importantly, vascular risk factors for mixed dementias and cerebral amyloid angiopathy. But really the focus of today on blood, our blood biomarker business, where we have a very unique platform that has ultra high sensitivity and can practically multiplex 10 to 20 biomarkers to create a biosignature, and it's highly scalable. Initial tests are a proprietary amyloid test targeted predominantly at primary care physicians with high negative predictive power so that we can really rule out true negatives and gate those people through to primary care, to uh, neurologists and to amyloid pet and CSF. Let's begin with how are we going to bring your respective technologies to billions of people and what does that entail? And I'd like to ask Dr. Ip first to talk to us about what is success in China for scaling the kind of solutions represented here and introducing them to your countrymen in across, from the rural to the cities? So I do believe that the blood test will be welcome in China. And there are different ways to, to implement the test. I think one way is to do it at the hospital. So there's the diagnostic department at the hospital where if you have CFDA approved equipment and also diagnostic reagents, then, then the test can be done similar to a routine blood test in the hospital. Alternatively, we can uh, consider uh, establishing service center for the blood test. And so in mainland China, blood-based biomarker tests can be implemented in a third-party uh, service center outside the hospital. So in terms of implementation, it can be done. Now in China, uh, currently a lot of the diagnosis in the rural area sometimes is not very accurate because in the rural areas, they usually rely on interns that that have you know little experience, and so it can result in misdiagnosis, inaccurate diagnosis, and also misdiagnosis. So I think this is a problem in the rural areas. In the urban areas, I think it's better because there are specialists, even though the number is still uh, insufficient, but the diagnosis can be made in the medical universities or it can be made in the hospitals. So... Sasha, the ELISA platform of Roche-DX is well-known, it's highly distributed, but this is a different application. We've got doctors that 
have little or no frame of reference for the blood tests that we're talking about. What's your company's perspective on doing this in scale and bringing it to the world in an accelerated fashion? We're having a lot of discussions now around, you know, how we actually educate and upskill primary care physicians in order to be able to clinically adopt, accept and adopt these tests into their clinical routine, let's say. And I think really the key thing is also, you know, to consider in the development process is that really we need to provide something which is that gives a very clear and straightforward answer is to refer on or not. So I think you know, any kind of predictive algorithms, any kind of risk scores are going to be very difficult for primary care physicians to be able to understand and most importantly to communicate to their patients as well. So we're looking to try to develop something which really gives a very you know, simple answer to be used alongside a cognitive test. To, to your point, Nancy, these individuals are coming in with a cognitive complaint. So this needs to be investigated. We need to respect that. And I think it will be the combination of a cognitive test and a simple blood test that will hopefully equip a GP to be able to make that decision to refer on or not. Mike, what's your perspective on this? You're particularly engaged with 217. How do you see it rolling out in clinical practice right. and, it's, and the story? Our number one point will be to make sure that we've got it absolutely nailed down, correct and reliable time after time and using bots and all the technical work that needs to be done and have it solid in our lab before we even think about putting together a test that can be exported to partners or point of care or anything like that. And that's a pretty big technical challenge and it's going to take some time. It's not going to happen in the next couple of months. I mean, we hope have our lab up and running sometime in 2022. I think the other thing we have to keep in mind is we're still learning about these various blood assays. It's still the case that where it's available, a PET scan probably gives you a more definitive answer than a blood scan or blood assay, although a very high value on a blood assay is almost certainly going to be associated with Alzheimer's pathology. A very low value inverse for the A-beta is going to be associated with absence of pathology. But we're seeing an in-between segment that's going to be harder to diagnose. And some of that may be the biology that patients don't flip a switch and automatically go from no pathology to a ton of pathology overnight. And some of it may be the particular characteristics of the assays where they really catch very early stages of disease, but maybe stages that won't progress or won't progress very rapidly. And we need a lot of, a lot of research still to understand that. So I think we need to mix realism with optimism. I think these new plasma tests provide a tremendous amount of potential, and I think they're going to be available at one level or another in the near future. So, Joel, listening to this, I really like your and Steve's point of view on the scaling question, because as a patient advocate, having had the same experience that Mike mentioned with my own family, we average, we're right now at about a 30% misdiagnosis rate in my large family. I'm of the view that, and this is a little bit of heresy perhaps, but I'm of the view that you don't make better the enemy of the good. 
that getting a blood plasma test in the marketplace today of some level of accuracy, sensitivity, specificity way outweighs learning more because of the current condition of misdiagnosis and the costs of the very important PET test. So I think these are all really good points. And I think that we all have to be mindful of bringing, being responsible in how we bring tests to the market. And so, you know, in our company, people are like, well, what have you been doing these last several months? All these design of experiments and looking at every aspect of what we do, which those who go to the details know what that's involved and improving our precision to get good coefficient of variation, temperature, humidity, pH, buffer composition, the devil is in the details. So whatever we bring forth, I think that we have to have Many of them initially a laboratory developed test pathway, which for the most part is not very regulated, except for the CLE lab, we need to be mindful and have an FDA type of mindset. And what I mean by that is that's why I make the point of high negative predictive value, because those that go through, you know, are going to be ones that are going on to confirmatory tests. Those that are on high negative predictive value means they really, really, really are true negatives. If there happens to be some that are missed, they're going to be tested in a year or two years or otherwise. So I think if we look at it in that way, as to John, to your point, and focus on those aspects for initial test launch, we can get these things in the market and we can, I mean, think about it, even though the biogen demand is, you know, not quite there, you know, Lilly, Roche, Azi, all coming through, we're going to see a huge influx and the bottleneck, where do we all go? Primary care physicians with our initial complaint. So having a very basic screening cognitive test from an amyloid positivity perspective to push them through, I think can do a lot of good. And then John, to your point on the misdiagnosis, we've got to embrace other biomarkers at the neurology level for differential diagnosis. Is your tau high, is your peak tau high, is your GFAP high and other aspects? I think in our case, we did spend many, many years, actually over 10 years, working on just amyloid beta 4240. It is a very complex set of amyloids to measure in the blood. That was the basis for why we introduced the test, because we were highly confident based on that, those 10 years of experience. But this point about scalability, I think I really want to underscore some of the points that Mike emphasized, because you need to make sure that you have good amyloids. And we clearly are learning that not all analyte tests are created equal. And so I think that the importance of standardization and once you can standardize your assessments, then thinking about a scalable model. That first initial focus was on the uh, analytical precision. And that is now paying off substantial dividends because we're starting to see the acceptance of our test in both clinical trials as well as the clinic. So once you've validated your markers and standardized, then the next step is to think about scalability. We have several R&D projects underway that involve a standardization of our assays that will enable technology transfer and effectively, I mean, I don't wanna say seamless because you know, you're talking about sophisticated technology, but in a way that will allow us to simply hand over an instruction, instruction booklet and with C2N's capabilities and proficiencies, be able to you know, hold the hands of our collaborators to ensure that that proficiency and scalability is there when other labs start performing that test. Today, if any of you apply to the FDA for a diagnostic approval on your prospective test, you're looking at a two-year wait. 
the time is doubled because of the COVID tests. So we have a real backlog. And back to responsible impatience, we need to ask ourselves regulatorily, what can we do to introduce uh, lab-developed tests in all our respective markets to inform physician practice while you folks all march dutifully towards a diagnostic approval in all these markets? Great question. I, I think it's quite market dependent as well. You get some variations across Europe. It's difficult to, to say, but I mean, certainly we can get assays out there being used in, in research contexts and gathering valuable information on how these perform in a real world cohort. Because also the challenge with developing these assays is we faced it within the CSF. You validate them in extremely well characterized cohorts that are very well selected. And this is not mirroring what we're seeing in real life. And particularly particularly GP cohorts really just don't exist. So to take into account all the different sort of potential comorbidities, the potential things which might be impacting and causing marker elevations that we don't know about, these are a lot of the challenges that I think we're facing in taking something from development and bringing it to market. So I think further research with the assays out in clinical practice, gathering data is a way to get them out there faster, but also to keep building that information, which is essentially, you know, what we need to do. A physician in the United States can order the test for a patient with early mild cognitive impairment or early dementia and doing an evaluation. That ability for the provider and being able to touch patients and offer a solution that is continuing to evolve but is extremely good in its present form is made possible through a key engine of innovation within diagnostic testing, which is the laboratory-developed test under the CLIA pathway. Okay, so the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services offers a regulatory pathway, which is really an accreditation of laboratories. When a test is performed out of a single laboratory, the question that comes into play that is uh, certainly of interest to the FDA, but less relevant in terms of regulation oversight, is does the laboratory have the technical proficiency and have they performed the appropriate analytical validation steps to be able to offer that test to the clinical community? And the beautiful thing about that pathway is as long as you have responsible manufacturers and developers of diagnostic tests, meaning they place high value on the integrity of the data, the stringency with which you would determine your acceptability standards, you can introduce the test under CLIA. And in fact, there are many tests out there in the clinic that are current standards of care that are only laboratory developed tests. But then the clinical validation, and to Sasha's point, demonstrating the clinical effectiveness of the test to be able to improve the patient's outcomes. And so that's the kind of work that's happening at C2N. We're engaged in thousands and thousands of ongoing clinical validity studies in different populations, different races and ethnicities. And we're also involved in extensive clinical utilization studies. I apologize for the phone ringing in the background. And so those clinical utility studies are allowing for us to understand how clinicians are gonna be able to make better decisions for their patients. That's the evidence package that you really want to drive to enable responsible and uh, efficient adoption. 
And we're now extending this throughout the world. So we're participating in the Davos collaboration, and we will soon be introducing our test in six different regions of the world, which include Brazil, Mexico, Jamaica, Scotland, Japan, and the U.S. What would be your point of view, Dr. Ip, on what the field needs to do next to advance the appropriate diagnosis of AD using blood tests? Well, I, I think in developed countries versus developing countries, the requirement be slightly different. For developed countries, I think the accuracy may not have to be super high because you can use it for a screening tool and then you can back it up with PET imaging and CSF tests. But for developing countries, I think the accuracy provided by the blood test needs to be quite high in order to better inform the diagnosis. I think we really need to make a global collective effort towards emphasizing the importance of a precise diagnosis. Because right now, the consideration that an individual has dementia is really insufficient based on even the existing tools, let alone future blood-based biomarkers. I think that it does make a difference to patients and their families, and it's highly impactful to ultimately how they plan for the future and either take existing therapies or in the very near future, disease-modifying therapies that will have a profound impact. Early, accurate, and accessible diagnosis is essential for empowering people with Alzheimer's and their families, guiding care and clinical practice, and laying the groundwork for emerging therapeutic approaches. Blood-based biomarker tests and other novel tools are poised to deliver critical diagnostic advances and enable the necessary global scale. This work is vitally important for slowing and ending Alzheimer's disease, the growing pandemic. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the Lausanne Workshop and the Global CEO Initiative on Alzheimer's Disease, please visit usagainstalzheimers.org.